about curling. <laughs> well, are you all right? Are you not freezing cold? Because I just, I don't know, I just look at everybody covering the Winter Olympics and I'm just like, oh, it looks very cold. That's because, and in my case, I'm covering it from remotely. So the hours you are waking up in your house are the hours when it's cold because the heating's not on at those kind of hours. Still cold. Normally you are, <laughs> normally you're asleep. So those hours, the heating doesn't come on. Um, yeah, and, and apologies. The reason why our post-Australian pod, Australian Open pod is late is because of me because I literally landed and was submerged in the Winter Olympic. I mean, I still am, but I'm sort of coming up for air a little bit. But yeah, yeah, I went straight. I went straight from thirty odd degrees to minus twenty. Mm. In terms of not that I was in the minus twenty, but in terms of having to get my my head round um, curling and and other bits and pieces. So, is there anything you'd like to know about curling? Because I know even for our American listeners, curling is a big thing. They have they have teams. They haven't done so well so far, but we're only just starting the team events now. But they have teams at the Winter Olympics. Yeah, well, GB are historically very strong at curling, so we'll get excited yep. as the teams get underway. Watch that yep. one, uh, that one closely. But look, in general, you know, people might think that we, we are this sort of wet and drizzly country. We are, but when it comes to we winter are. sports, we we're are. not quite cold no, enough are. to be experts at winter sports, unfortunately. So, uh, but we're okay, aren't we? I mean, are we? To, I, I did. Sorry, we are, what? we are. We're not Norway, <laughs> are we? No, we're not. Okay, we're not. Oh, good knowledge, by the way, that Norway won the most medals. They always win the, the most at, in medals. Pyeongchang. Right, medals. See, I until no until I did the opening ceremony, and we're given this wonderful book full of all the information about the countries. If you'd said to me which country was the most successful in Pyeongchang, I wouldn't have said sort of scheme. I wouldn't have said oh, Norway. Absolutely, Norway. I mean, day. they would. They would have no. They would have been in the or mix. Russia. But why would Norway? But why? You see, there's like, why would Norway have come out top? It wouldn't have been top for me, Norway, no. in the skiing. Yeah. Race. So we sort of, again, American listeners might think that we are very near mountains in terms of the Alps, <laughs> and in, I by American I standards, we are very I'm near not. them. Um, but by British standards, you know, anything over an hour drive is too far. It's uh, we're quite far away <laughs> from the Alps. I couldn't when I was when I was trying to experience curling. Just because I felt that you should at least try a sport to get a feel uh-huh. of it, I couldn't find anywhere to try curling. Like, yeah, because yeah. well, you have to go bigger. to Scotland. Where's, where's the well, national? No, I didn't. Is there a national centre? I don't know. It, yeah, it's up in it's up in yeah. Scotland. So that's that's again your, your academy. Again, in the... It's too far for us to go. It's not you know <laughs> Americans might think it's a day trip, but that is too far for us to go to Scotland <laughs> for the weekend. It doesn't happen. But but we've we've got ice rinks. So why are we not? better at ice hockey and a figure skate. I'm not saying we're bad at these things, but we've got ice rinks. You don't need mountains or snow on minus 20 degrees to go on an ice rink. Just... We've got one 15 minutes away. Yeah, I've got an ice not rink about five minutes away from my house, actually. You yeah, see? Yeah, no, I think so, so that's just could... a cultural thing. I don't know. It's just a cultural Possibly. thing. We don't really do sort of winter sports as winter sports are are known. Um, but yeah, good fun watching, though. Um, have you been enjoying it so far? Amazing. Yeah, it, it's, yes, I have actually. I mean, the, the curling, it's been a lot to get my head around because it was a really new sport for me. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm still finding my way through the terms, but I'm coming out with some quite good terms now. And I'm getting, we've just done the mixed doubles as we talk, going into team event. Yeah, so I'm really enjoying that. I'm watching, it's like chess on ice. Mm. It's, it's really tactical because basically 
It's not going to all going to be on curling, I promise you. But it's a it's a target like you'd find on an archery. It's a target with a bullseye in the centre. Yeah. It's called the house. Yeah. You've got your concentric circles. It's like bowls on ice, and you've you've got to get it as close to the button, close to the centre of the the house, the bullseye as possible. And yeah, I mean it's really and and the great thing is in mixed doubles you have married couples and they have arguments. It's <laughs> brilliant. And they, they literally we had two married couples and one couple who were in a relationship separated and decided to continue curling together which is a mistake isn't it i mean you, you split yeah. up for a reason oh right? i don't know about that i don't know if i can yeah. handle that yeah but then again I just I mean, curling is not mm. for me in any way because i would i'm not i don't play <laughs> chess i don't you know anything but you're competitive strategy no, i'm very competitive but strategy is just not sort of my my strong point sort of thinking ahead i would I'd be on the ice and I'd be looking at the stones at the other end and all I'd be thinking is, well, I can just blast them all out of the way. And that's all yeah, I would ever do. I, was, I wouldn't do anything else. I would I, just be like, I was thinking that obliterate them. And I'd probably be pretty good at that. I can be pretty accurate. Because you've got the, the big serve, haven't the big you? Power, the big serve. I can blast my way yeah. through and, yeah. and that's, and that's yeah. fine. But that, that it would be, you'd, <laughs> if you could hear the conversations, we're sort of looking at the stones and then we just go, I think I'll, I'll curl this one as hard as I can. <laughs> And then just launch it. <laughs> but there is a need for one of those people on a team. Excellent. You, you need that. But how how would you and Ben work as a, as a mixed doubles curling team under pressure? We've always thought that we'd work quite well as a team in general because Ben is very much a strategist. He likes to plan things. He likes to yeah. He likes to think. That's what he does. <laughs> I am. He would describe me as like a worker bee, as in just tell me. Or worker ants. I suppose they have workers in ants and bees, don't they? But um, but as in, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. You want me to run through this wall? I'll do it. You want me to do I'll do, I'm not, wow. you know, okay. I, I mean, I can plan. It's just that there's normally somebody more suited to it. And then I just go, right, this is what we're doing. And we just go full steam ahead until somebody stops me. <laughs> <laughs> much like how this pod started it was your it was your yeah. thought process and i was like is that an is that an instruction because if it is i'm off and you're like yeah, yeah i think you, so and no you didn't you you didn't even ask okay. if it was instruction I a week later it was you instruction. had the, you had the prototype with the colors with different varieties and you're saying when are we going to start this i was like oh it's happening yeah no it was just <laughs> off and running i was like everything's registered everything's set up you know done bang off we go so yeah no that that would be and as you say in a lot of team sports there is a place for somebody like that head down and let's go 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 um so yeah that's that would be that would be me uh so ben would be a good would part you not say would you not say that strategy is used in tennis at all are you saying your whole tennis career there was no strategy involved <laughs> at all no it, as i say i can do strategy it's just not right. my forte as it as okay. it were um and uh yeah but then maybe i would have been better suited to sports where it is a bit more sort of like you just told the physical work to do and then just get on and do it um no i always enjoyed the strategy of tennis and trying to oh, i mean the feeling when you figure something out if you've not played someone before or just something clicks or something on the day is just working and you're just oh you know i'm 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 getting her on that one that that's working it it's she's hating it and and especially if they sort of react to it or whatever you're like she's hating this and I can do that I can just do it over and over and over again <laughs> that's really fun um so no no I, I'm, I'm obviously I'm, I'm doing myself a massive disservice when it comes to strategy but I think I think I think you'd be good at curling I mean look some of the sports the snowboarding the 
how do they do that? How do you stand? Look, I'm bad enough at the top of a mountain. I'm like, this is not going to go well and go down <laughs> really slowly. But how do they stand on the top of those really steep slopes and go down backwards? I mean, some of these in the, in the freeze, is it the freestyle slope style skiing? They're going down backwards mm. off a ramp and then twisting about six times in the air. I mean, some of the things I love with the Winter Olympics, there are sports that I don't see outside of the Winter Olympics. I think pretty much all and of them. Look, really. what is it? The the skeleton going down headfirst on a Insane. tea tray. How do you how do you find out that you're good at doing that? How does that? I, I understand tennis. You've played since you were four, and you've hit a ball, and you can hit the ball, and that's one. How do you know that you can go down a mountain on a tea tray headfirst? Yeah, first? and how how do some people know that they're better going feet first than headfirst, and they'll do the luge and not the skeleton? <laughs> I don't know. It, it all feels very similar to me, and absolutely insane. But uh, no, it's been it's been enjoyable. Can't wait to watch. Uh, What's the end? Fingers crossed for a medal, GB medal. Yes, one medal. We're going to get more than one medal. Well, we haven't got one yet. Fingers, cro- fingers crossed for a medal. It's a whole country, <laughs> right? No, we're going to get. We're going to get, and some of them are going to come in curling. Yes, okay. Now, so tennis-wise, as I don't know, where do we start? Do we start with what's going on now and then get to the Australian Open, or do we go back to the Australian Open and then get to present day? I think we've got to have a little look at at the end of of the Australian Open, a bit of a wrap. You were out there, so what are your final thoughts now that you've... I know you've sort of immersed yourself in another world. It probably feels like six months ago, but... does. What are your... heat as well. You know, you were there, Um, you saw it all to the final point. I think I'm still slightly buzzing from the final. I know that's a weird thing to say, but I don't think I've ever been so naturally high after a tennis match from that final and I think partly it was working on it so as you know especially with radio commentary you're living every ball and with the BBC we do we alternate sets so you're not doing every point of every set for the five hours but you're really immersed in it and I don't think I've ever felt such a high off a tennis match it 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 was incredible I think yes being there makes a difference we've spent a lot of time being remote for the reasons we know but it, it it was everything. No one's ever come from two sets down in the Australian Open final. Nadal hadn't done it since 2007, I think, what, fourth round Wimbledon. He was on crutches two months ago. He's got a foot problem that's never going to heal. He had keel. He had COVID in, in December. He didn't even think he was going to Australia. No one, no one, well, maybe someone, very few people had tipped him to win it because initially he was due to face Djokovic in the semifinals. And then when Djokovic was kicked out of Australia then there were so many others to look at it it was just I I it was and I, I haven't even gone back a day before to to Barty and what she did but for me that that men's final was it was absolutely sensational and I was I was completely buzzing I, I think even on the flight back I was still thinking about it and talking about it and getting excited about it yeah what a privilege to be there right yeah it's just but absolutely is that, is that, extraordinary is that normal? These, I mean, it was just, how did you see, from not being there, how did you see, was I just too caught up in it because I was there? I mean, how did you see the match? No, it was absolutely huge. Yeah, it really did, I think, transcend the sport. In terms of over here, everybody was talking about it. Anybody I've seen since has been talking about it and not people who you know, were following things. Also, because it went on so long, it was sort of like, well, after lunch, it was like lunchtime when... <laughs> It finished over here. Um, that's always one of my favourite things with Australian Open. When you, you, you're in the UK, you wake up and you catch up on what's gone on. And this person's out, this person's out. And then <laughs> there's lots of matches still going on. So um, I think everybody was fully, fully immersed in it. It was such 
it was just just absolutely extraordinary. You just didn't think it was going to happen at the beginning of the tournament. You didn't think it was going to happen in the quarterfinals. Like when you got to the quarterfinal stage, you know sometimes you'd be thinking, "Ah, oh, I'm not sure about Nadal." But then once he starts winning some matches, you'd be like, Ooh, "Okay." And really, you know, I was talking about the favourites being Medvedev and Zverev, and then yeah, yeah. You know, Medvedev was was the favourite, and and then even going into the final, and then even two sets down in the final, it was like, "Yeah, you know, Medvedev's got him. He's toast." He's, I mean, you just. I mean, he's a phenomenon, isn't he, Nadal? I know it's just boring at this point because we've just been raving about him for the past 20 years. And, and, but, I mean, how how can you have that level of self-belief? How can you achieve that? 21 Grand Slams. And, you know, I, I, just, I just found it amazing as well because of all the Djokovic situation before. And, you know, look, one of the reasons that you know, Tennis Australia you know, were doing anything they could to help Djokovic come and play the tournament is A, because he's a nine-time champion, and B, one of the biggest things is it would be a huge moment to get the record, to move in front of the other two, the men's record I'm talking about, to get to 21. And when Djokovic was deported, it was sort of like, okay, well, it's not going to happen at the Australian Open. It's a bit flat, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was, it was just, it's flat, not going to happen at the Australian yeah. Open. It's very disappointing for the tournament yeah. because they really wanted it to happen there. And it would be fitting because it would be the 10th time. You know, that's that's Djokovic's backyard. You know, all of it was, it was as if, like, I, I didn't buy into the tournament was going to be any any worse. I'm not surprised that the tournament was absolutely fantastic from start to finish. But just that moment, it was a little bit of a shame that, they couldn't have that moment. Um, look, Djokovic has got a lot to do with that. As a lot of this is on him, yeah. but you know, and then and then just sort of ludicrous that two weeks later they got that moment. They got the twenty-one <laughs> happening there, and it was Rafa, and they had the t-shirts ready to go. I mean, I'm sure they they <laughs> did they just pack one just in case, and just thought we just got to have one around, you know? Like I just absolutely yeah one of my favorite things that's ever happened in tennis and i just i love tennis so much it's the best sport in the world and you just sit there watching that going this is the best sport in the world this is just oh, incredible it's getting the adrenaline the high I remember we were when we finally left site what one or two hours later and i think and normally i get the 6 a.m flight out of out of melbourne so you leave <laughs> the airport you leave the airport about three o'clock and we're still I'm trying to think, because uh, we kept dealing in UK time. I'm trying to think of Australian time, but we came off air. It was about 2.30, 2.40 UK time. So I was thinking I would have actually missed my flight. I, I got a later one, as it turned out that day. But I was thinking, but as we finally left, I think we were walking back. I think I probably got to bed about four in the morning. I was still buzzing. I was still thinking about it. I was still thinking that was incredible. And, and both of them were incredible. Like I genuinely... The, the sad thing to come out of this was the reaction from the crowd. And I know Medvedev can bring it on himself. I know he has a way of turning himself from the villain into a hero and doing little things that he shouldn't do, but then managing to win people round. There was there was a lot of anti-Medvedev out there. Of course, his frustration is going to build when he has a two sets to love lead and he starts to lose it, right? But, you know, the, the, the crowd's reaction to him, and I know there was the support for Nadal, I get all those things, but... They needed to show more appreciation for what Medvedev was doing, which was absolutely stunning. I mean, there were two people involved in what made a phenomenal contest. And then to hear him come into his press conference, and apparently the media had been told, because we were still down in the commentary box um, on the Rod Laver Arena, but the media had been told, Medvedev's coming up, 
it's going to be really short. You know, it's it's the middle of the night. It's going to be very quick, maybe like one or two answers. And they've got all these cameras like Big Brother that follow them. So I'm in our commentary box. I'm watching. It's quite weird when you're like, you're sort of watching Medvedev make his way from the men's locker room in the bowels of the Rod Laver Arena up into the new media center because there's cameras everywhere. They're always watching. And he was walking along and he had his... A, he had an ATP representative with him. He had an agent behind him. And he wasn't saying anything. He was like adjusting his white Lacoste top. And he was very somber. And he was very sort of, I thought, oh, this probably will be quite quick. And then I went on to read his transcript. And it was really sad. You know, talking about today, a little boy lost his dream. You know, this is, I expected to come out here, these massive moments. But, and and yes, it may have been heat of the moment stuff because he still was in the heat of the moment. But he basically summed it up by saying, I was so disappointed, I was so hurt. In future, I'm going to play for myself and my family and my country. If there's a tournament in Moscow the week before Wimbledon, I'll play that. I won't play Wimbledon. You know, I'm I'm going to play for those that matter to me. And I, I get all those sentiments, but it's to be seen. And, and I think it was right. The crowd, they weren't fair enough. It doesn't matter how much they love Nadal and what an amazing thing Nadal did. You have to show respect to someone who played that kind of part. And I'm just hoping that some of it was heat of the moment stuff. And and as he continues through the season, people appreciate him as he should be appreciated. Yeah, it was. It was a, a real shame, wasn't it, to hear him talking like that? And also, you know, look, he's be, it, it, I don't think it was just a bitter, sore loser about it. He's lost in five sets in a Grand Slam final to Nadal before. I know it was different circumstances. He wasn't the favourite. He wasn't two sets up. But... He has, you know, lost a heartbreaker in that. Like, it's not like he's just throwing his toys out of the pram. Um, but it is difficult because are you entitled to crowd support? You know, you're, why why should you be entitled to it, I guess? Yeah. And that's always been a Djokovic thing, hasn't it? You know, you know, even um, I remember for years, even Andy Murray playing at Wimbledon. If he played against Federer, it was at best 50-50. And that's actually being a little bit generous. And he's playing at Wimbledon. You know, it wasn't, I mean, okay, since Murray won Wimbledon, it may have just changed a little bit. But course, still, yeah. you know, Federer is the favourite everywhere that he goes. Um, and and that's just, that, that's been difficult. You know, Nadal's had to deal with that. You know, it, it was, there is very much this whole sort of Federer-Nadal rivalry, but let's make no bones about it. When they were in that rivalry, Federer was easily the more popular player for the fans. Um, I, I personally think the Nadal fans were very uh, passionate, but I don't think the fans were split 50 50. Um, and as I said, I think Roddick said, talked about it as well, playing against Federer in the States. It's the same thing. It's like, hang on a minute. <laughs> Come on, I need all the help I can get. I thought I was going to get some here. <laughs> you know, and for. For Medvedev, it's you just can't you can't compete with somebody like Nadal, I suppose, in in on that sort of stage. Twenty time, well now twenty one, but twenty time Grand Slam champion at at the time. Medvedev's won one. Medvedev has achieved a huge amount. Absolutely, I I agree with you. Look, if I was in the crowd, I would have been giving Medvedev a lot more respect for for what he was delivering. I think you know by a certain point, there's been a fair amount of alcohol flowing around the the stage. You know, I mean, it was five hours long. Um, and it's always going to hurt, isn't it? It's always going to hurt. But, you know, can you sort of, can you expect to have the crowd on your side when you're not, say, playing Davis Cup for your country in your home country? You know, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult one. And I understand the frustration, but think about what Nadal and Federer have achieved 
to have that sort of status. You know, Federer was not completely beloved everywhere he went once he had won one Grand Slam. You know, it takes more than that. Um, And it takes more than just your achievements on the court, as we've seen with Djokovic in terms of how much the crowd enjoy him. It takes more than just the tennis. You know, you have to have all of these things sort of fall into place. And, you know, as you say, Medvedev brings a lot of it on yourself. Can you pick and choose when you're the villain? Or if you're playing the villain character, that can sort that persona can run away from you. You can lose control of it. People, other people can take control of it. And people can react in a way that you, you don't entirely like. And as I say, Djokovic is a perfect example of he's never quite had control over the way people view him. I think Nadal and Federer have always very much had that sort of really wrapped up and he's sort of created this persona and then it's just rolled away from him and he's just like, wait, no, that's not what I mean. <laughs> if you saw what I mean, and it sort of gets out of control. But I, I, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one, but you've also got to credit, of course, what Nadal and, and, Djokovic, Nadal and Federer have achieved, but also how they've gone about everything in terms of their PR, their personas, their interviews. And look, Medvedev, he's my favourite person in the interview right now. I think he's absolutely fantastic when he talks mm. to the press. He says he loves talking to the press. You can really... I, I think, hope it stays like but that. I think he believes that. Like, like You can see the way it, he talks. I think he really does enjoy it. And it's not about the press. He wasn't going in having a go at the press. It was about the crowd and the fans' reaction. So I just hope he stays as, as honest and open as he is because he's a joy to listen to. He's great when he talks. He's always, I think welcoming you know any question that's put to him he'll answer to it and I weirdly when we were putting the the young ones into the old ones shoes we kind of said okay Sitsipas can be the new Federer in terms of the style of game how he likes to portray himself and then we had team as Nadal but maybe Alcaraz is going to fast forward and be the Nadal and then I think we always kind of put Medvedev didn't we in the Djokovic a little bit style of play but also that kind of the villainous side to him and Djokovic is a, is a good one in press conferences he will talk about anything give long answers and I agree with you I hope I hope that side of Medvedev doesn't change and I hope a lot of it was was heat of the moment stuff and it's understandable that he should feel like that in the heat of the moment as long as he doesn't shut down as you say with the press and with how he is in his interviews because I think he's incredibly good especially for somebody in their second language um I I always look forward to a Medvedev interview um, yeah. As long as he doesn't shut down, I think he's going to end up all thing when everything's said and done, incredibly popular. I can see that yeah. with the new wave, he will probably be the most popular. Um, however, you know, more you've... popular than Sitsipas. Do you see him as more popular than Sitsipas? I think possibly because he's more accessible as a person. You know, I think. Yeah, than, I mean, yeah, look, Sitsipas yeah. is very emotional and very sensitive, and 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 he is open about that, which is great. Um, but. You know, I think that Medvedev just is in terms of being a bit more of a, you know, like a guy you could go to lunch with and have a nice chat with, or, you know, whatever, or go and have yeah. a drink with. But you just, I think these guys, when they're young, uh, as I say, I know it's frustrating, but you've got to think back to like what Andy Murray went through, even in this country. I mean, there was a point where, you know, people really disliked him. Um, you know, a couple of mistakes when it comes to quotes. I mean, people can say they're mistakes or taken out of context, whatever the situation was. He, you know, he was not popular in this country, even when he was British number one. Um, you know, and it took a long time. It took him crying at the Australian Open, then crying at Wimbledon, then winning the Olympics, then winning... Um, 
was it Olympics winning US Open winning Wimbledon you know it 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 had to he had to be achieving that level um and as I say the the crying was sort of part of it as well because it made people realize that he's a human being and all that sort of stuff and there are other you know huge superstars and well what I would say is that now he's been our biggest sports star in this country for for ages I mean like in terms of popularity you know someone like David Beckham went through a similar thing right as you know footballer went from being probably one of the most hated people in the country (laughs) to to being just the absolute legend that he is and a complete national treasure I think one of the funny things that Medvedev did um it wasn't so funny at the time was not in the final when he he uh up to the chair he he called the he said you're a little cat now it's it's awful isn't it huh. even even now on this podcast i don't want to say the word do you want to say the word i don't know why i don't want to say the word but he called him a little cat and i remember in our commentary box um russell we're working with he was he, he knew what the word was but he was like i don't know if is that meant to be offensive is it not and law robson who we we're working with wasn't sure that he knew the meaning of little cat. So we have a WhatsApp group with everybody that was working on the Australian Open, but not everybody was working that day. So she writes in capital letters what little cat is, like just yeah. the word. <laughs> and I'm thinking for all those people who weren't working that day, they'd log on to their messages the next day and be like, oh, interesting. And, and for me, it was the number of journalists on social media who said Russian friends out there, what does little cat mean? It was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and people write it back going, it, it means just the one word. And it's like, that, that's all it means. It's just me going, it must have a strange meaning in Russian. What is it? No, it doesn't have a strange meaning in Russian. It is just what it means. And that was, yeah, I, weird. I still can't say the, is it a bad word? Why can I not say the word? Why do I not want to say the Well, word? the thing is, is that if you put cat behind it, it's not a bad word because it's a pussy cat. Yes. A pussycat. Yes. Look, there's a band called the Pussycat Dolls. Yes, there are. So, they, like, if, if, you you, took if it's off... a pussycat, then it's fine. If you took off... But you get rid of cat, it, you know, it's they become different. A... The band would sound It doesn't different. mean a small cat. It does. <laughs> <laughs> if you take the cat bit off. That is... And it was so... Are we weren't sure on it. Could we say it? Could we not? Could we say it? Could we not? So we didn't. And we didn't. But it, that made me laugh on social media. Russian friends... What does little cat yeah. mean? Like, this must be some sort of weird translation. <laughs> is this sort of code word? No, it's not code for anything. Um, but I was so thinking, I, like, they know, like, I mean, Medvedev's English is pretty much perfect. Like, he's not someone who struggles. He knows exactly what he's saying. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And look, there was Nick Kyrgios. I mean, who would have thought Nick Kyrgios would be a Grand Slam champion winning the hey. the doubles with, with Tanasi Kokinakis. Maybe that's his future. Uh, Maybe that's his future. Yeah, you know what? Maybe that's his future. He he likes to play in a team. Um, I'm sure he would have loved the high and the buzz of being Grand Slam champions. And it seems on his social media they've got lots of projects and bits that I guess the spin-offs, right, of becoming Grand Slam champions. They they upset people along the way, but they got the job done. So we had that happening. And then we had Ash Barty. We had Ash Barty winning the Australian mm. Open. And we always talk about Ash Barty being very controlled, 
And when you speak to her, she's a little bit like a politician. She'll give you the right answer. She won't swerve. She won't be controversial. There won't be a headline from it. She just, you know, says it very straight bat. Excuse cricket. Very straight bat. But it was that moment when she won. It was that roar because she was down our country box end where her box was when she literally roared and screamed up towards her box. And I remember afterwards in one of her interviews, one of the TV channels, she was like, she was shown it. She went, I'm really sorry. That's not me. Uh, that's not me. But I liked it because that was raw. That was raw Barty. That was Barty winning the Australian Open. It was huge, wasn't it? It's just mega. And just all the way through, it was just so comfortable. And you were thinking, is it just going to be comfortable? <laughs> so yeah, comfortable. Um, oh, I mean, the level that Barty's playing at. Just, it's just awesome. It's just to die for, isn't it? The way that she plays. It's just so... No one knows what to do about it. No one's figured it out. But let me ask you, let me ask you as, as, as a tennis player, because this is one thing I didn't understand. And I was watching these matches, right? This is Ash Barty. She's world number one. She's not an Emma Raducanu at 150. And Belinda Bencic is facing her going, oh, I've never faced this person. I've never felt this weight of shot. I don't know how she plays, right? It's Ash Barty. We know how she plays. But it felt like everyone who stepped out of the court against Barty didn't know how to deal with Barty. They didn't know how to deal with the slice, which you were going to get from Barty. And, and I was kind of wondering, it, what, was that just the level she was playing? Because it suddenly felt like we know how Ash Barty is going to play, yet no one seemed able to play Ash Barty. Yeah, no, I, I mean, my personal opinion is that people don't, they haven't cracked it tactically so you do have these moments especially when players burst onto the scene that one player will sort of break down the game style find something that works uh, also when they're not riding sky high on confidence you know like Emma Raducanu you mentioned US Open you're not going to see any chinks in the armor there because she's she's just riding like she's just riding this wave and so full of confidence now she's come down a little bit she's not riding that wave she's playing on different surfaces in different events you can see the chinks of armor come out so we're i'm expecting people to start tactically really breaking that game game style down um and seeing what really is effective um but there are some players that you just don't crack i mean look i've been saying it for years what are the tactics against novak djokovic there are there's nothing to cling on to in his game that that can work everybody what i love with the commentators is we'll have these conversations in green room and you know what it's like everyone gets very passionate and very heated <laughs> and i love when people go well you know he does have one weakness and you're like oh what's that and they go the overhead overheads like, oh excellent <laughs> excellent the shot that he plays three times in a match that's really going to swing it for his opponents isn't it like i mean come on you might i mean it's just absolute mad like madness but um you know for me <clears throat> federer there's always been a game plan everybody's known what to do against federer how to attack that backhand exactly what the range is where you need to get it to how you need to do it it's just been a case of executing and Obviously, barely anyone can execute against him to the level that we've seen him over the years. The same against Nadal. People know how to play against Nadal. It is just that it is the most intimidating, brutal, scary thing that people can't do. You know, Medvedev did it for a couple of yeah. sets. You know, he, yeah. he, you know, he just didn't sustain it. Um, and that is, uh, and that's something that we've seen. You know, you mentioned Nick Kyrgios earlier as a new Grand Slam champion. He's very, very good at, at breaking down game styles and, and being able to execute for, for long enough when he's playing against those top players. Back to Ash Barty, she's not been broken down yet. No one knows how to play her tactically. Um, no one's worked it out yet. I've not seen a single match where you go, ah, that works. 
Um, I'm sure it will come. As I say, something like Djokovic, it, it's been ages. I'm like, I mean, people talk about little bits here and there, but ultimately there isn't like this works against Djokovic. You've just got to do it to a ridiculous level. It's it's actually quite, quite difficult. Um, and uh, yeah, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see if people work her out, but she's been number one for a fair old while now. She's won three slams and I I can't remember a match where I've gone, oh, she's hating this. I loved uh, I loved Craig Tizer because um, he came in because something the WTA do really well is they put the coaches forward in Love to that. come into media and it's really nice because you can really get to know them and, and get to maybe know a different side of the player and um, and he came in and he said look if you're going to play Ash Barty on a Wednesday on the Tuesday there is no point coming out and hitting slice backhands or or working against a slice backhand for an hour <laughs> he's like. It's not, you know, he wasn't, he just said it's honest. That's not going to do anything. You, no. you cannot think that if you come out of practice for an hour like that, you'll be like, I've got it. I've sorted it. it, it it's just, it's just, it's just not going to work. Against yeah. So them. what, what needs to happen is if you think about the very top of the game. So your Sabalenkas, um, who else is right up at the top now? I mean, Bedos is now a top five player. Osaka, I know she's not ranked there, but you know, we, think yeah. of her as she's an honorary top five player <laughs> yeah yeah as a ranger um you know all of those they need to work out Barty's game style that needs to be a priority because okay Sabalenka maybe being the second seed in tournaments okay she's not going to meet her to the final but how are you going to win titles how are you going to win slams if you're always playing yeah. Ash in the final um and Ash is being incredibly consistent on all different surfaces. So that will be a case of, uh, I know we're, we're a long time away from the off season, but if you're Sabalenka's coach, if you're at the top of the game, you need to work out Barty's game style because otherwise you just never, you can't, you're just not going to get anywhere. Um, and it, it normally is sort of a task for the off season. So, you know, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, when when they've been doing off seasons, look up. I don't know what they're working on. They don't tell anyone, but you can bet that they are focusing on each other. There's no need, you know, or, you know, and, and now that there's some more coming through. So Medvedev, you, you know, that, that Djokovic and Nadal, that they're going to be thinking about him. Anyone who can play on that, because ultimately everybody else, they just need to play well enough. Like, and yeah. it's fine. Um, and uh, yeah, they need to, they need to work it out. Really. They, they need to figure out Ash. No one's been able to figure it out. It was interesting what Craig Tyers was saying about the US Open just being a slam that she's not going to win unless they change the balls. We know, I mean, last year it was so quick. The surface was just so quick. And remember, the, and as he was saying, the women are playing with lighter balls. It's the only tournament where that happens. You know, you, the US Open series, they use um, lighter balls for the women. Um, and, uh, you know, Ash needs that weight so that she can bite into the, yeah. the slice and it can stay down low. If it's going to fly, it's going to float, it's going to be attackable and that's a big part of her game sort of gone, really. Um, so, yeah, and that's uh, but that's also a reason as to why we saw somebody like Emma Raducanu play so well at the US Open and she's now struggling a little bit more on the slower surfaces because, you know, her overwhelming game style that we saw at US Open of just... Rah, I'm just going for it and it, it all, all working is, you know, it's not, it's not going to work as, as well. So yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating, but, um, somebody's going to work out Barty and then everyone will latch onto it, be trying to do it. And it will be a case of, well, can you maintain it to a high enough level? Uh, so then you've got to be one of the best players in the world to be able to do it. Yeah. I mean, 
Absolutely incredible. Can, can I just say, I know uh, she wasn't my pick for player of the year last year, but can I give an early shout for Barty being my, <laughs> being my player of the year? No, no. <laughs> uh, someone I want to give an honourable mention to is Arena Sabalenka. Mm-hmm. I've always had a soft spot Sabalenka. And you know it's from Come the Come on, days, the Sabs. You know it's the days when I saw her in what was then the Fed Cup when I was like, this is terrifying, but fun tennis. She, I think, I, I can't remember the exact numbers now. There'll be someone listening that does. I think through first five matches of 2022, she was up to 80 double faults. You know, but you know what it is? She kept a smile on her face and she kept going. So we've seen this. With, she won some of those matches. She won, she won a number <laughs> of those ridiculous. matches. She, let's use Zverev as an example. When the second serve started to crumb the double faults, the chance are he was going to lose that match. Everything would go. The head, the confidence, bang, gone. But what I loved about Savalenka is... Look, maybe inside she was a volcano ready to erupt, but she'd have a smile on her face and she'd go again. And if she needed to underarm, she would leading into the Australian Open. But that, that, I mean, that number is insane, that number of double mm. faults. And, yeah. But for me, the fact that and she did a couple of Insta stories recently about practicing going at the serve. But look, I don't know if you've se- I don't know why that's happening, whether there's an injury we don't know about. She tried to change the technique. I know some people on Twitter was talking about ball tosses and position. I don't know why it is, or whether it's just nerves. It could simply be a case of, of nerves, an expectation. Now, but if you've got, if you've got the right technique, the point of, of making your technique so solid is so that when you get nervous, when you get tight and you just, you know, your, your body just sort of does its own thing. It will do the right things and you won't have this stuff. It's, it's always, I remember when people were talking about it with the Coco Goff serve as well. When that went off, it was one French yeah. open. It went off the, uh, the second serve. It's always a combat. Like it, it can't just be mental because, you know, like, you know, Berrettini is never going to get a mental block on his forehand. It's not going to happen. Yeah. He might get a mental block on his backhand or his volleys or something else, but you know, it's not going to happen to something that is technically so perfect. It just doesn't, um, you know. So that's the thing. It's always a combination of having a technical flaw and then it being fine almost all of the time until you get nervous and the technical flaw comes out. So, right. okay. you know, you've either got to not get nervous or sort out the technical flaw. But I, you know, that's. I just give her credit for so many people to crumble. Let's say she was winning matches and she was going deep in the Australian Open with these this double fault count adding up, and she was asked questions about it, and she would answer them, and I'm sure she was having sleepless nights about it. You know, it's a it's a big part of her game. It's how she, you start every point. It's the one point in tennis you can you can control. We spoke so much about Ash Barty's amazing serve. So, I just wanted to give her a special mention because mm. I just look, there's so many. Things and people, I think, from that Australian Open tournament, you know, they managed to get capacity up to eighty percent for the finals, which was, which was great. Um, it was no, look, it was a phenomenal tournament. And the, our next honourable mention—it's one of those podcasts—is Juan Martín del Potro, because I imagine. Oh, don't do it! To I me, imagine I you, like I did, saw saw all the the crying social media footage of if that possibly could. I don't think it's confirmed, but could possibly be his his last ever match that defeat to the defeat i mean he's entered in two tournaments isn't he that's that's all there is on the on the del potro schedule as things stand well i've already cried three times over it and i can feel myself welling up again oh, you, it's i just, can see you i can see is oh. honestly oh it was just so devastating oh he you know look it's it it's of course it's his choice and if that is gonna mean that his life is better then 
yeah. you know, absolutely fantastic. Who are we to say, oh, we want you to keep playing, you know, you know do what you want. Um, you know, really, I think, to be honest, the it's not about him stopping. It's about, you know, for all of these years when he's gone through these injuries, it's always been a sort of like, yeah, but if he can get over the injuries and yeah. get everything back together, he can be, if, win multiple yeah. Grand Slams, you know, yeah and and that's the thing is he never got that chance i mean i'm just so thrilled that he actually managed to win a slam because you know and then he did that at 20 years old it's um yeah it's just it's it's just rubbish really um he's clearly completely devastated by it um saying he just wants to live pain free we've heard similar things from andy murray but then andy murray Hey, he's back in business, although he won't be playing the clay to look after his body. But we all thought that he was done with the Australian Open. And I know people are saying, like, oh, did we not learn from Andy Murray? Delpo's not done. But this is different, I, in my opinion. Delpo has, you know, he's not just been through a few years of injuries. This is a lifetime. It's and it was his a whole wrist. career. And now it's the knees. He said the, the crippling plane in his knees. And for so long, it was all about the wrists. And, and then more recently, it came to light about his father, who's no longer with us, and the money that that disappeared and you know that he should be able to retire and never have to worry about anything ever again but it's slightly different because of because of what happened I mean it, it it's it's just heartbreaking it, it's for, for someone look I've only interviewed him a couple of times and he was he's very soft-spoken for someone so big someone so big mm. he's very softly spoken but he was always very polite and I everyone can have good and bad days but I've never heard anyone say anything bad about him in terms of from a media point of view speaking to him very gentle, very considered, very nice fella. Look, look as yeah. you know, and it, it it's just so heartbreaking that he's fought so hard to come back. I really thought the fairy tale would happen at the Olympics. I, I really thought, it, I either thought it'd be a Nishikori, a Del Potro fairy tale, a, a Japanese winner in Japan, or Del Potro would come back. But you know, there, there's so many highlights from his career, and we've both been so lucky to see him play live and and witness yeah. that forehand and witness the the crowds that amass when he's playing and you know that memory for me against Dominic team at, at the US Open in recent years but ah, oh, it's sad isn't it I mean look there's I don't think that's officially the last ever I think as I say there's two on his <clears throat> schedule there's one more tournament he is scheduled yeah. to play and I guess no he didn't win probably wasn't expected he hasn't played any tennis and the body's not where he will ever want it to be but I guess he takes stock now to see if he can sort of go again and, and see how much he, he doesn't want to do even more damage because he does. You guys have to think in tennis, you've got the rest of your life to live. Yeah. And, you know, you have, and you, and it's, it's, it's incredibly important to think about it that way. And look, you, people can argue that he was fortunate because he managed to achieve what he achieved so early uh, before the injuries really decimated his career. And you look at somebody like CC Bellis, who's announced her retirement and, you know, you know, she didn't get to anywhere near to see what her potential was. We we know that Del Potro's um, potential was right at the top of the game, Grand Slam champion. He would have run one more. It would have been awesome to have seen that. But unfortunately, um, yeah, unfortunately, that's the way that it's um, it's panned out for him. But hopefully he can just get to a place where he's all right and and um, moving forward in life pain-free and sort of happy with, with where he's at in his situation. But... You know, I saw somebody tweet, and I feel bad because I can't remember who it was, but they just said Delpo made tennis better, and that's just it. He just added so much value to it. Uh, you know, everybody was excited for a Delpo match because 
even if he's winning like one, one and one early rounds of a slam, you know, you're going to get a couple of unreal forehands in there that are just going to make everybody gasp and laugh. And I've been watching all the highlights, all of the best Delpo forehands. And there was one when Andy Murray was commentating at Wimbledon and he was just laughing because it was just so ridiculous. Oh, I remember that. that. Just so (laughs) ridiculous. Um, And we've all been robbed. We've all been robbed of seeing more of it. But um, yeah, it comes to an end. But I'll tell you what it does do. And this is absolutely no consolation in any way, but it does lock in my disappointment of 2022 pretty early on because my disappointment of 2021 was that we didn't see Delpo. So I think if if he does officially retire, I think that's so you've got your disappointment of 2022. I've already got my WTA player of 2022. Wow, we're putting this together in February, and it feels like. We're ending this week on a on a sad note because I have to go and pick up the children because this is my mm. my one day off of curling. So I'm back on children duties and the poor children, I pick them up from school and on the walk to and from school, I'm just talking to them about curling. They know about what a drawer is. They know a guard. They know what the yeah. button is. They know the weight of a curling stone. They know about the sweeping. I don't think they need to know any of this stuff. I'm just kind of almost going to set some up on like wooden floor at home yeah. set up a little practicing them, i bought a little desktop sweeping. i did buy a desktop curling kit and i can just like throw the stones Aww, to sort of cute. yeah i kind of so but but we're not ending on a, on a downer we're sort of celebrating the the life and times and the works of del potra and and let's see how many more matches there are left in him. But it's uh, well, look. we could end on an embarrassment for me because in the last Ooh. pod, I think I said that uh, Nadal was on his way out. So because <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about my picks, and I was like, "Well, it's Medvedev's rare. It would be Nadal, but he's sort of on his way out." Would, so would that be the history-making twenty-one uh, <laughs> Grand Slam title, highest yeah. in the men's Rafa Nadal? Yeah, it's not like I'm paid to know anything about tennis. <laughs> Now, Don't worry you, about it. You didn't need to admit that. You 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 didn't need to admit <laughs> no, that. No, I do so. need to admit it. And I, the only reason I can admit it is because everybody else was pretty much in the same boat, I think, <laughs> yeah. including Nadal's camp. <laughs> now, yeah, now I can't have my children left alone at the school gate. Yes. Okay. So, go, go, go. Go.